Jesus, we're grateful for you and how consistent you are in our lives. It's beyond consistent. It's more generous than that. You're continuously pressing deeper and deeper into our hearts. And so we know that today is about that. You, you want more of us. Uh, you want more of us because it's your opportunity to give more of you to us. You're opening our hearts more and more to your transforming love. You are opening our hearts more and more to what it is to live by faith. You are opening our hearts to walk more and more deeply into your kingdom, and it's beautiful. And so today, we just pray that you'd fill this room with your presence. Pray that you'd fill each of our hearts with the power of your Holy Spirit, and you would work in us the faith it takes to hear you, uh, even in spite of what I say today, and then the faith it takes to form something in us where we're changed. And I really do pray for transformation in our hearts, that you'd set us free today. I pray that our lives would be different this week and we'd go deeper and deeper. And because of the love that flows so richly into us, that love would flow through us. And Lord, we would see many people's lives changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm really glad to be back from Nigeria. I flew in yesterday morning at six in the morning. So um, I'm gonna, we're gonna show just a few pictures up here from the trip. It was a really wonderful trip to see how Love Your City, which is what Boy With A Ball does out in communities, to see it growing across Nigeria. And it's growing from village to village. It is growing um, from slum to slum. It's growing from city to city. And it's really kind of an awesome thing to see. Young leaders are coming together and they're growing in faith in knowing Jesus by walking out to love people, by walking out to go into the darkest parts of their city and to make him known. And so um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, in this trip, we were specifically working on how it could go from Enugu, which is down in the southeast, it's the Christian part of the country, up to Lagos, the biggest city, and then up into the northern areas, which are predominantly Muslim. Um, so uh, the trip included driving by big, big mosques. I was in the capital city. And as you, I was driving to our Christian conference, it was a secret conference, it was invitation only, that as you would drive into the place where we had all these pastors and missionaries, you would drive by this mammoth mosque. It was actually really, really beautiful and you, you just kind of got a sense of it. Being in Nigeria always includes a pretty good amount of being pulled over by people with machine guns and um, that are either nice to you or not, but uh, they were pretty nice to us. Um, there's all the stuff that's involved in being in another culture, um, but it, it is pretty wonderful. There was a violent storm while we were there that actually caused massive flooding and a good amount of people were, died. The, um, the way that it affected me is that we were in a hotel room and all of a sudden water started to just burst into the room. Uh, we saved my luggage right in time, but a bunch of books we had brought down for the guys just got kind of made very different looking than they originally were meant to look. You know how well books do with water. <laughs> so, so that was great. But I felt that was our one contact with that storm apart from driving through a lot of mud. Um, yeah, there was also one really beautiful moment where we, uh, they're going to bring up the pictures in a moment, where we walked into a village where this couple has started a farm and then they've started a church and then they've started a boy with a ball team and then they've started a school and then they started to teach the whole village. Love Your City for them means teaching how to grow cucumber or teaching how to grow other crops. And so they took us down to do a walkthrough of this village and we walked up to, they wanted to go first to the gate, to the leader. They wanted to go to the chief. 
We went to the chief and he came out and he loved them. And then we, he, he let us walk through the village. But as we walked through the village, it, it felt like a parade. We ended up with, it felt like 100 people just walking with us. It wasn't, wasn't really a walkthrough, it was, it was a parade. So I felt, it felt like it was the civil rights movement. It was really, it was great. Um, so it was a wonderful trip, even if we don't get the, the pictures. You, thank you, thank you for your prayers. Across every moment of the trip, we sensed God's power. And um, we were watching as the next generation of leaders um, really were exploding into growth. And I really credit that to you guys. You guys, and then we were also at the ACM conference and we were prayed for. It just was a different trip because of it. So thank you. And I also want to thank Pete and Christine. They're the ones that dedicate themselves to that team and speak with them every single week. And because of that, it is pretty great to see how they're growing. It's funny, when you know you leave Pete alone with the team, all of a sudden they're starting schools all across the country. So, you know, you reproduce what's in you, I guess, is the truth. All right, don't worry about the photos, guys. All right, so at the conference, I had the chance to attend that invite-only underground conference around strategies to reach the Sahel region. So the Sahel region is the region that aligns right with the southern part of the Sahara Desert. And it's really where the nomadic, uh, mostly... Um, Arabic, Islamic people come in herdsmen and they make contact with the settlers and there's a lot of conflict because of it. It is the area that is considered, I wrote this down, it's considered the highest region of spiritual warfare, the highest level of spiritual warfare in Africa and it is where Boko Haram, terrorism, arms, rebellion, drug trade and human trafficking all fill the nightly news. In the middle of the conference, one of the speakers said that these things this is an interesting phrase. He said, they usher in the reality of human suffering, which is an opening for the gospel of the kingdom. What an interesting way to think of it. Huh? He said that these, these places of real weakness and pain, they usher in the reality of human suffering, which is an opening for the gospel of the kingdom. So funny, most of us all the time, aren't we trying to be strong? You know, aren't you trying to be set up, have money in your bank account, have everything great? And yet these guys are saying, it's in those places of suffering that the great stuff happens. So, um, yeah, where life is not working, people are more open to Jesus, his words, and his ways. So, to get into the message, do, will we have the ability to put the chart up? Yeah, great. Okay, one of the speakers got up and he shared this graph. And this graph is a little bit shocking, so get ready for this. So, in 1970, 33% of the world was following Jesus. That's kind of interesting, right? Okay. Check back with it. 1970, 32% of the world was following Jesus. Big fluctuation there, huh? Yeah. 2000, 30 years later, big years. You're talking about the digital age. 32% of the world is following Jesus. And then in 2013, we're back at 33%. Is following Jesus. That's a little shocking, isn't it? It's not what you would feel. Now, there have been fluctuations. The Western world, including Western Europe and the United States, we've, we've struggled in some ways. And, and uh, honestly, Australia would be right there. But the global south is really punched up. But the net reality is the same. The way we're doing this brings about those results. The way that church functions these days brings about those results. But here's the more shocking part. It costs different, okay? So in 1900, and these costs have been adjusted, 
But 1900, it cost us about $17,500 for every baptized believer. But look what it jumped up to by 1970, 128,000, then 330,000, then 710,000. That's incredibly shocking. I just sat and listened to these speakers and thought, wow. And the thing that the guy said, because I think the thing you have to think about is God is doing something that's requiring us to grow and to change, which God is always doing something that requires us to grow and to change. But God is really doing something in this moment where you can't do it just the way you've always done it because we can't afford it. Like we're, we're gonna have to change. And I think the reason I wanted to share that is that as we're talking about the book of Acts, you know, across the history of the church, since the day of Pentecost, believers have consistently gone back to the Gospels, they've gone back to the book of Acts of the Holy Spirit as kind of a tuning fork or a compass to make certain that we're doing okay. A lot of times, some of the great revivals that have happened is people have taken the book of Acts and just said, Lord, do it again, do it again in this age. And so with any diagnostic tool that you use, a lot of what you see is we're doing pretty good. And as we're reading through the book of Acts, I wonder how you're doing it saying, how are we doing as a church? How am I doing as a family? How are we doing as individuals? So there's some things that you probably are like, yeah, we're doing pretty great. He's moving, he's changing us. We're really, really great, grateful. And really, honestly, this is one of the most beautiful moments for us as a church. There's been so much growth. The baptism Sunday we had a few weeks ago was just wonderful. So we've got a lot of really great things. But typical of the Holy Spirit, there are also some things that he will challenge and look for to draw us closer. And that's certainly what he's doing. Our way of doing church, the way that we function here, has been a powerfully effective way to lead us to some very good results. We've reached a third of the world consistently for over 100 years. Um, The thing is, is that we're experiencing exponential rise in costs, but not exponential rise in fruit. And so it's God whispering, something can change. Now you could say, but the church is the church, the church is perfect, we're doing great, and of course we are unblemished by the blood of Christ. But one of the things that you do see when we look at the book of Acts is it's a little different what they were experiencing than the way we do it today. And there's a lot of reason for that if you go across church history from when it was the Roman Catholic Church to when it was Martin Luther to when we were a frontier country to today. There there aren't a whole lot of us who are walking around in bands of 12 with Jesus. Um, You're not ending your day most of the time with the person who disciples you around a campfire. You know, there's some small changes that have happened. And some of those are because we don't need a campfire. (laughs) But, but some of those are because we've gotten used to some ways of doing it that are a little bit more like this. Um, Brother Charles said that the Reformation, which is where Martin Luther made such big changes, was, uh, was a part of a group of guys who brought about such big changes. It really changed the way that the word went out, but it didn't change the fact that it was one person standing in front of a bunch of people listening. You know? So there's still some changes that God God's making. And as we read the book of Acts, it gives us ideas. So as jet-lagged as I am, and as far along in the service as we are, I thought it'd be a good idea just, just to list some clues that we're seeing that are some of the movements. And you can try them on for your heart, and then we'll, we'll go have lunch. Not necessarily together, but we'll all go have lunch. You thought I was inviting you, didn't you? I see. It's very nice. All right, so... The number one movement is we have to move from making members 
to following Jesus into making disciples who make disciples. You know, we, we've gotten used a little bit to the idea that a minister is somebody who's incredibly professional, really talented. That's why you get a little antsy when I come up here. You're like, that guy's not quite that talented or professional. But when Chris is up here, we're like, who could do it like Chris? And so you have one really talented person helping all of us to grow. But the shift we're seeing is actually kind of flipping that upside down, where it's a few really strong leaders equipping all of us, ordinary people, to go out into the ordinary spaces, ordinary places of our lives, to reach all the people in our social network. And I don't mean Facebook. I mean every person you know with the power of the gospel of the kingdom. And that's actually what's happening with the church planting movements, and there's also disciple-making movements that are out there. What they're doing is they're reaching somebody for Jesus, the power of God's helping somebody come to know Jesus, and then they're reaching every single person that they know, and it's just exploding. Now that's fast, and that's cheap. <laughs> you know, that is just an explosion of the power of God. And that rhythm is a little different than most of us that are ready to come back for another installment of something that will help us, right? Is it wrong the way we're doing it? It's not. And in fact, we're a church that's a little different. We produce such a high level of leaders. But what I would say is that sometimes we feel like God is going so slow. And it's not he that's going so slow. Like, we could grow faster. We could see more of his power. We could see deeper change in our neighborhoods. You can see deeper change in your family members. So we're not the kind of church that deals with being consumers. We're not a group that comes in and just you know, grabs it and goes home judging, Did the, was the song list good, was the message good? We're not that church. But there's another way to look at it is are we a group that is absolutely catapulting people out into the power of the gospel to transform lives? And if you saw that, we would see a city changed. Where you see that most often is in places that are dealing with suffering. We're, we're so concerned about suffering, and that sometimes gets in our way, but where people are dealing with suffering, they're just breathless. And, and to be honest with you, for us as a church, some of our greatest explosive times were in the 1960s, where the power of God was moving in ways that freaked out our family members, freaked out people around us, and there was some suffering. Even Brother John, who led this church, he, he was, um, it didn't help his career <laughs> to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the midst of that suffering, things were happening. I remember one time I showed up at um, John and Ellen's house and Miss Ellen, I, we were going from being together with a group of young people and another group was waiting over at the Mosley's uh, for us. And Miss Ellen grabbed me and she said, it's happening again. It's great to see calling disciples again. And it scared me. I was, she, I was like, I, don't, I think we're just meeting with young people. But she was there in a moment where she saw Charles Simpson and John Duke and these leaders where the gospel was exploding. And she was saying, it could be happening again. It should be happening again. If there's any part of you that's just gotten used to coming and sitting and listening, it's more than that. The power of the gospel of the kingdom is electric. It is dynamite. It is so powerful that it will change to you. It'll change you, but it will change through you. And it will change every person in your neighborhood. It is more powerful than a nuclear bomb going off in your neighborhood. It is more dramatic. And so one question as we're reading the book of Acts is just to say, we want that. We're ready. We're ready to follow you into what's next. Um... One key piece to think about is Matthew 16, 24, where Jesus makes it plain, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves 
and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's interesting. It's not just church membership. It's a life of following him, which is what it means to be a member of a great church. But it's a life of laying your life down, denying yourself, and following him as a disciple. All right. One thing is, if you're a new member in this church, what it really means is you count tremendously. And uh, we really want to be a church that grabs onto every single person here and empowers us to go out and make a difference. Okay, number two, we have to move from following Jesus into receiving salvation alone to following Jesus into submitting to his lordship. You know, we're really, really big on praying for people to come to Jesus and to accept him. But how are you doing at bowing your knee to him as your Lord moment to moment? That, that can change everything. If all it takes is for somebody to come forward and receive Jesus, but it's not about Jesus coming into every part of your life moment to moment, day after day, you can see where we might be getting stuck, right? Read some verses for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For Christ's love compels us because we were convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, which is you and me as believers. 1 Corinthians 15.31, I died daily. And then 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. But we have the, this treasure in jars of clay to show us this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. This is the really interesting part. Is that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said when Christ bids a man, he bids him come and die. Like the, the answer of Christianity isn't to wash you up and make you a better person. It's really to knock you out. It's really that this old broken part that prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to be sort of latent and quiet and passive and bored with the realities of the kingdom. Um, He just goes ahead and crucifies that person. (laughs) He just knocks it out, lays it down, it's over. And what we're really, really learning as a church isn't how just to do better. What we're really learning is how to follow him into a different kind of life where it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that lives in me. Do you understand what you're being offered? You're being offered a miracle. You're not just being offered good teachings that you have to go home and do a checklist to keep up with. You're offering that the power of the risen Christ will come into you as an animating force to change the way you live every moment of your life. It's powerful. You may struggle with things, and we all struggle with things, but there is power available to break through those things into deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper levels. One thing that we struggle with sometimes is we're basically saying, Jesus, please come and make my house good. Jesus, come and make my job good. Jesus, come and make my family good. And those are actually all things we're not allowed to do anymore. We gave that whole life to him. 
And you know, the deal now is just to say, Jesus, help make me closer to you. I want to know you more. I'll seek first the kingdom of God and a right relationship with you, and I'll trust you to build my family, build my job. And guess what? He's better at it. For a lot of us, our prayer lives is directing Jesus how he should bless you, how he should protect you, how he should help you. But what you're leaving yourself there in that equation is you're the one directing the party. You're the one that's the Lord. And guess what? That's your problem. Your problem isn't that you can't get Jesus to listen to you adding air freshener and fuzzy dice to your car of life. Your problem is that you shouldn't be the one driving. Jesus, take the wheel, Carrie Underwood said. And I think she was on to something. Sorry. That's the thing. He's not just saving you so you can go try again and better. He's saving you from yourself that he would be your Lord. And why do we press into discipleship relationships with people? Because some of us, when we first meet him, we're so bad at hearing him, knowing him. Our habits are so ingrained that it's really nice to have a person with flesh and a voice you can hear next to you to help you get started. Now, should that relationship forevermore be a person telling you what to do? It shouldn't be that in the beginning. No, it's they're working themselves out of a job while they're helping you learn how to hear him, to follow him, to grow in him. And guess what happens if you do those things? There's exponential power in your life. Not only does your family do well, but your neighborhood does well. So one of the things we get tricked into is forgiveness and then sin management and trying to get God to bless our world. That's not too different than the way the world's living. If you're willing to believe in him, to take very seriously the gospel, to lay your life down and to follow him, he will take care of every single thing you're concerned about and he will explode you past any levels you would expect. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. There is so much power. And in all the parts of the world where the gospel is growing, they're not growing because it's that different than here. They're just growing because they have no other choices but him and they're getting more of him than we are. Because we're protecting blessings that are decent in a way that's getting in the way of blessings that are eternal. He is so good. He is so strong. He's not gonna argue with you about who he is. He knows who he is. He's gonna try to save you from yourself, but he is so strong. And we are his. And by the way, being a church isn't your seat where you're sitting, being a church is being his. We are the community of the forgiven. And he is the risen and exalted one. All right, I think I'm just gonna do one more. And I think we were surviving this, thank God. We can report to Chris. It was, it was okay. Uh, Chris, if you're listening at home, thank you for praying. Um, don't you love Chris? Can we just say that? I shouldn't admit that I love the show The West Wing. I know it's not a political thing for me. I just like, forget it. I can turn all that off. But there's a relationship between the chief of staff, Leo McGarrity, and um, Jed Bartlett, the president. And they, they just love each other. There's one scene where it's the State of the Union address. And uh, the guy comes in that's the, you know, lone survivor guy that's supposed to come in. And he has a good encounter with the president. The president says, okay, well, you know what to do if something happens to all of us. And he tells him what he has to do, convene all these people. But finally he says, and also he says, do you have a best friend? And the guy says, yes, Mr. President. He says, is he smarter than you? And he said, yes. And then he goes through a list that are just the most amazing things. 
And he said, make him your chief of staff. And the, the guy, Leo, is listening. I was watching that while I was on the trip. I broke down crying like a baby. Like, I love Chris Hyatt. I just, I love Jesus, but I know so much of Jesus because of getting to walk with Chris Hyatt. And so, just a quick commercial. <laughs> I'm just trying to get him to like this message. <laughs> All right. Okay. We have to be really honest with ourselves in the third movement that we're still involved in a process that involves moving from addiction to self to deeper and deeper intimacy with Jesus. You were made by an intimate God who existed in triunity, loving and interrelating, and they made you to live in, in that kind of, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You were made for that intimacy. When Satan seduced Adam and Eve into not listening for the first time ever, the damage was just devastating, catastrophic. And your heart, which was made to hear him, made to listen to him, made not just to give him what you want to give him, made to give him everything. Adam and Eve, he walked in with them in the garden He was constantly speaking. They were constantly listening. They were talking with him. We were made for that kind of intimacy. But when that moment came and we fell, the level of disconnection was so great and the pain was so great that we started clutching for anything. You've seen a person who's drowning. They're clutching for anything to get a little bit of oxygen. You've seen somebody who can't get breath or maybe imagine a guy in a space suit where all of his hoses get popped out. You're clutching for anything to give you a little bit of life. And we've grabbed onto things across our existence. Sometimes we've grabbed onto silly things like fear. Fear gives you a sense that you can protect yourself from things. But fear isn't of the Lord. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Some of us have grabbed onto anxiety. It's, a, it's like fear going on all the time around you. For some of us, it's been pride. For all of us, it's been pride. Pride is where you actually know you're not doing so well, so you puff up and try to redouble your efforts to act like you're really, you get so excited by the one good thing you saw of yourself that you start to, start to pin your hopes on that. That's kind of crazy. Jealousy. We start to get energy out of wishing somebody else would do worse than us and that we could do better. Like Charles always talks about crabs in a bucket. You don't have to put a top on them. They just keep pulling each other down. Unforgiveness. I'm going to never forgive that person so that will never happen to me again. But you can keep going into it. The weird things are the things that fill our hearts. They're not always the horrible things we get so mad about. Sometimes the things we use to fill our hearts are crazy things like gardening. You're saying gardening's bad? Well, it is if it's the thing that's giving you life and joy instead of Jesus. It's the little foxes that spoil the grapes. Some of us even think what seat we sit at here at church each week is the thing that makes us who we are. It's not what makes you who you are. It's just where you're sitting, for goodness sake. It's a chair. Um, a, lot of, a lot of us, it's our job. It's what we do. It's what we accomplish. But what you're doing is you're allowing oxygen in that's not oxygen. And so what do you need? When you, when you use something that you're not supposed to use, what happens? It doesn't quite do the trick. It makes you feel good for a second. So then what do you do? Just like any addiction, you need more. And so many of us, if you really could just sit down, 
How would you do if you shut out all the noise, turned off all the phones, stopped buying everything you're buying, stopped filling yourself with everything you're filling with, how would you do it just being his? It's scary. I just sat on a plane for 12 hours. Freaks you out. Thank God they've got a rolling thing of movies. But <laughs> going on a trip to Nigeria for two weeks, you're away from all your consolations that you're used to. So I, I know it. I didn't do well. <laughs> like my heart, you see all the places where I'm not fully his. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Not totally, not yet. But those are the places, those are the places that we're here for. You're here to grow. You're here to grow, to be set free from that. To be set free from even the good things that are keeping you back. To be set free from the things you don't talk about with anybody. You're here to be set free. All of us have to face the fact that even after we've believed, even after we've repented and confessed Jesus as our Savior and Lord, even after we've been baptized in water, and even after we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, we still have to face our own brokenness. We were made for him, but we now have a carnal nature that continually acts on its own, struggles to come close to God, and struggles to let go of unbelief, fear, all the words I mentioned. If we let him, the enemy will pull us into a life that now believes in Jesus, but is still keeping its distance from him, hiding in the rhythms of our lives. And man, wouldn't it be cool if we were the kind of church that just tore that apart in each other's lives? Now, be careful. <laughs> Start with your own heart. <laughs> but the early believers had a level of mutual accountability that was different than us. They didn't have turf that had to be protected. They were honest. Let's be a different church. If you struggle with somebody here, guess what you're supposed to do? Go to that person. Tell them, I was hurt. You walked by me, you never talked to me. You know, I came to your home group, I did not feel welcomed. Now then you gotta listen to them. It could be that they're not as socially skilled as you are. I'm using that for myself as an excuse. But listen, see if you can figure it out. If you can't figure it out, we have leaders here who can sit down with you but don't let things be unresolved. Let's keep short accounts. Let's keep clean hearts. Let's grow. Let this be a zero gossip church. This has pretty much always been a zero gossip church. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's one of the coolest parts of this church. Let's keep it going. We're going to be adding a lot of new people to this church. Let's just keep that going. That's a great thing to do, right? But then what if we can get to the point where we know each other and we love each other that we can count on the wounds of a trusted friend, you know. If we do that, we live. Because you have to be honest with yourself that without iron sharpening iron, without that kind of life, we fall into holes, our marriages get into ruts, we struggle, and we're wasting away while pretending that we're doing great. I don't want to be that church. I don't want to grow in numbers but not grow in, they would call it holiness or sanctification, but I would just say the flow of the Holy Spirit being what leads and consoles your life. Let's be that church. Let's grow. Now that's hard because you would think, oh, okay, occasionally when it pops up that somebody's struggling, I'll say that. It's actually all of us all the time, you know? Uh, it's, it, we really would have to see God help us. So let's do that. Um, Jesus not only died for our sins, but he gave us the way of the cross as a way to overcome this sin that so easily entangles us. We're not just called to believe once and to pass into a new life, we're called back into intimacy that due to our fallen nature requires the way of the cross daily. It is a little interesting that after Romans 6, 
which Patrick quoted a few weeks ago about we're buried with him and then we're you know, resurrected with him, that then comes Romans 7. <laughs> What's up with that? Do you guys remember Romans 7? It's probably, you probably have it monogrammed on your bathroom walls. It's just beautiful and inspiring. <laughs> we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. This is Paul talking. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, as it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me. So how does that end up? It ends up with him saying, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? But thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the next part is the part, Romans 8, you'd expect me to speak on any time, but I'm gonna wrap up here, which is life and the power of the Holy Spirit. But you can't get to life and the power of the Holy Spirit without discipleship and accountability and learning not to feed your own soulishness. So sometimes we talk big about life in the Holy Spirit, but we haven't made space for it by crucifying the deeds of the flesh and your carnality. And sometimes we're not even playing in the same game with each other about these things. I don't want to just say, hi, Scott, you look great, which you do. You look great today. I want to be able to know you well enough to say, this is what I think God's saying. And I'm not actually saying catapult yourself into judging each other, not. But those you're walking with, watch out for them, fight for them love them, and watch what God will do for us. Um, After crucifixion comes resurrection, life, and power. I think these movements are things that are historic Christianity. I think Paul and Peter got into it. It's in the Bible. Like, it's like, Paul, you know, and I told Peter (laughs) to his face, and Peter says, what, some, some of Paul's writings are a little hard to grasp, you know. So that's all happening. We are really fighting as we read the book of Acts to live the book of Acts. And one time, Dow Robinson, who's a good friend of Jay and Frankie's, he said something to me that really made me feel uncomfortable. He said, well, that's how those guys did it. I was like, what? <laughs> it's the model, Dow. It's not. And Dow was just saying that while it's truly our model, it will be creative what happens with us. But some of the things we're being called back to are just these things I'm talking about. You're not just a member here. You're a disciple of Jesus who's called to go and make disciples. So, so true. Um, What's my second point? I won't test you on it. Um, We have to move from following Jesus into receiving his salvation to following Jesus into submitting to his lordship. And then we really have to face these addiction to self to follow him into the power of the Holy Spirit. If it feels sad, these things, it shouldn't. He's such a loving father. Jesus is so powerful. We get so upset about what's happening across the world. Nigeria is a country that doesn't always exemplify perfect character in every moment. They do exemplify passion for what is good. And um, and I, I was realizing some of the things that they're facing are things we faced in some of our frontier days, in certain parts of you watching just different things happening. Um, 
every single culture, every single place around the world are people just dealing with these issues. And the better we do at responding to what God's doing in us, the more helpful we are to turn to them. Don't get so freaked out about what's happening in the world. That, that doesn't help you. Fear profits a man nothing. But do really, really well at following Jesus in faith into what he's doing here in your heart with these people, and we're gonna grow. We have had so many people come to the church in the last while. We are a multi-ethnic, diverse church. God is blessing us. The people that God's sending, if you're a newer person, you're a treasure. It's so clear as we look out each week how beautiful it is, each person that's being added. This is a church that when you get ready to move, you'll have 20-something people at your house for the move. This is a church that when something happens for you, they'll fight for you. So welcome. We're really glad you're here. Now it's our turn to grow together. Let's pray. Jesus, we are grateful for you loving us so much. We are grateful for you pursuing our hearts. We're grateful that you continue to pursue the authentic, real version of what it is to know you and follow you in us. And Lord, it is a little alarming how we can settle into habits and how we can settle into um, traps. But you already knew that and you love us and you're an ever-present help in time of trouble and you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it and it really is Christ in us that's the hope of glory so we turn to you today and we lift you up as we sing we lift you up we lift you up because of what you've done but we lift you up because of what you will do next and what we really say Lord is we want you as our Lord of the increase of your government, there shall be no end. Let it come deeper into my heart. Let it come deeper into each of our hearts. Lord, every single area where we've sought out consolation from something that's not from you, Jesus, we want to lay it down. We want to give it up. We don't need that in place of you. I pray you teach us, Lord, the rhythms of your grace. Teach us what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. Teach us different hungers. Teach us to hunger to see the city changed by the power of the gospel. We see those people who are suffering for the gospel and they see it as so powerful that they're, they're watching it explode across their cities. Let that be true here. Let that be true in us. I pray, Lord, that as we turn and we worship, you would open our hearts to any place that you're knocking. If there's a place where past hurt has allowed us to disconnect from you, if there are hidden places where we're missing you, if there are places where we're just scared because of the things that we're facing, Lord, our worship is to lift it all to you. We cast our burdens onto Jesus. And then Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister to people this morning and you would set them free. In Jesus' name.